Hey guys, and welcome back to the Duke Wisdom Podcast. Uh, took last Thursday off, got busy during exam week, and well, there wasn't a game. There was just, if I was to make another episode, I would have just, it would have been a second uh, depressing rant about the Georgia Tech loss, so I didn't think anybody would want to listen to that. So we're back to talk about something a little bit more positive, uh, which is a nice change of pace for the Blue Devils so far. Uh, with the win over Charlotte, and then looking forward to the game against Hofstra on Tuesday. So after a two-game losing streak on the road, Duke made their way back to Durham and played the Charlotte 49ers. Not a bad opponent there in the AAC, which is a solid basketball conference, um, but ultimately a game that Duke was supposed to win and ultimately did by uh, 24 points. So. No Tyrese Proctor, which was no shocker. Still unclear exactly what the severity of Tyrese's ankle injury is, but we know he's out. We saw him in the polo shirt. I don't expect to have him back against Hofstra at all. I mean, I guess it's possible to see him back against Baylor. We probably hope that he's back against Baylor, but that doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem incredibly likely that that will be the case. Uh, he'd be out for a little less than three weeks if he came back for the Baylor game, but I suppose we can't rule it out entirely. Um, Christian Reeves also out with an injury, and that got me thinking about that because he, he's missed so much time now with these little injuries, and part of me thinks if he misses more time, maybe the coaching staff just takes Reeves and is like, let's go seek a medical redshirt because he's he's not getting enough out of this season to to bleed another year of eligibility last season he was supposed to be a red shirt didn't end up being one and so had to burn a year of eligibility maybe he can get that year back with a medical red shirt this season i'm thinking that that could be a uh something good to look into if you're the coaching staff but you know shire seems like he he doesn't love playing the uh <laughs> the bigs anyway so i don't think reeves's role is going to increase even when he comes back from injury just like Sean Stewart's role did not increase despite Duke getting killed on the back line against Georgia Tech on on lobs and everything like that. Stewart still only plays six minutes. Um, actually, besides Jalen Blakes, the bench combined for 18 minutes played. We take Blakes completely out of the equation. You had six minutes from Sean Stewart, five from TJ Power, which is a heck of a regression after the promise he had shown for a few games leading up to that. I've been a pretty heavy TJ power advocate and, and he fell off a lot playing time wise, which was disappointing to say the least his fall off minutes wise. And then Stewart's continued fall off minutes wise. I mean, in a game that Duke led by 25 in the first half and ultimately wins by 24, how is Sean Stewart playing six minutes? I understand that Charlotte made, a comeback, cut it to 11, that Shire wanted to make a statement with this win coming off of a couple losses. He wanted it to be emphatic. It probably wasn't as emphatic as they would have liked, but you got to get these guys run. If you're going to, if they're going to be part of this team going forward and they're going to be part of the rotation in ACC play, which they should be, if they're not, then that's not great. They need to see more run. And I do think it's interesting that Ryan Young only had six minutes played as well. And we've seen a pretty stark decrease in, in Ryan Young's usage. I mean, he averaged 6.4 points per game last season 
in 18 minutes a game. In non-conference play, he was definitely playing over 20 minutes a game, and he was averaging probably eight or nine points. He's only averaging 2.7 points per game in just south of 13 minutes a game. And he's only shooting at 52% from the floor. He shot like 69% last season from the floor. He shot 81% from the line last year, just 60% so far this season, which is kind of odd to say the least. Um, but in the last few games, just, you know, let, let's go last five games. Nine minutes against LaSalle, two points. Ten minutes against Southern Indiana, five points. Nine minutes against Arkansas, one point. Twelve minutes against Georgia Tech, two points. And six minutes against Charlotte, two points. That's kind of wild. <laughs> so Ryan Young is, is sort of being slowly erased from the equation as well, which is interesting. And the fact that he's being erased from the rotation and Sean Stewart's minutes aren't increasing is even crazier because Kyle Filipowski can't really play any more than he already did to start the season and already does now. Those big man minutes then therefore are going to point guards <laughs> because TJ Power's not playing anymore. He's a forward. Um, Mark Mitchell is actually playing a little bit more, but it's not so much more that, you know, there shouldn't be existing minutes to go to another forward or to another center. Instead, they're going to more point guards. And I will say there was a certain point guard off the bench that had a heck of a, a game. There, there's something about the month of December, something about the month of December that just gets Jalen Blakes going a million miles an hour. He had those back-to-back games last year against um, Wake Forest where he had 17 points, which was his career high. Then he followed it up with another 17-point game against Florida State. Both games were in December. Then he had his season-high 15 points on Saturday against Charlotte, uh, and he didn't miss (laughs) a single thing. He's 3-3 of from three, and I mean, he's been pretty abysmal from three this season leading into that game, so that's a bit of a shocker. But 5-5 of from the floor, 3-3 of from downtown and 2 of 2 from the line just a single turnover he had a steal uh pretty emphatic play and i've said this before but if everybody on this team played with the same energy that jalen blakes played with this team would still be ranked in the top three without a doubt i don't know if they would would have a loss on the season if everybody played with the same heart the same drive and the same intensity that jalen blakes played with he's not always the best player unless it's the month of december than he is for some reason, but he's, you know, he's not always the best guy, but he does always bring the highest level of energy on the team. So a heck of a, uh, a game from Jalen Blake's a December masterpiece. Most of what there is to talk about, about the actual gameplay comes from the starters. And I'll start with Duke's uh, quote unquote, best player uh, who, who maybe had one of, if not the worst offensive game of his young Duke career Kyle Filipowski in 32 minutes, 2 of 10 from the floor, missed his only three-point attempt, uh, 50% from the line. He had five points. Did have four assists, and he did pull down 13 rebounds, which was solid to make up uh, for some of his struggles shooting the ball. But it, you know, and I saw a list earlier today that still had Kyle like fifth in the National Player of the Year conversation. His numbers are now down to 17 points and, and just south of nine rebounds a game which aren't bad by any means, but Duke playing the way that Duke has played, those numbers are not first-team All-American numbers right now, especially given his shooting splits. 
which are like 26 or 25. I don't know. It's really like mid 20s percent from three. And then he's shooting like 50 percent flat from the floor and 73 from the line. So not impressive shooting splits to go with falling numbers. He's been good. I don't think he's been first team All-American good. He has to have better production than that for Duke to get back into a national contender status. But ultimately, he seems a little frustrated, and rightfully so, because he's, again, and I keep hammering away at this subject, he's been put in a bad position. He's been put out of position. He's not a true five. He doesn't need to play with his back at the basket, and when he's getting the ball in the paint, he's just being flooded by defenders. And honestly, Charlotte had the size to flood Filipowski inside. Some of these other um, mid-majors and low-majors don't have the size uh, to crowd him, and they still make his life difficult. Charlotte did have the size, so they made his life very, very difficult. And it's it's understandable that he's struggling because he's not a true five. Duke doesn't have a extremely good true five on this roster. That's true, especially with Ryan Young struggling a little bit. But they do have Sean Stewart, and Sean Stewart's not a true five, but he does one thing. He dunks on the back line. You can put him at the three, the four, the five. He's going to do that one thing. He's going to do that thing. He's going to bring energy. He's going to bring defense. And so I don't see why not put him at the five. Let Kyle play his natural position at the four. And let Mark Mitchell play a position that I think he has been so much more successful at, which is at the three. It gives him room to breathe on the perimeter and drive. Mark Mitchell is a player that's going to thrive when he has room to drive. And he hasn't had that at the four this season. I know a lot of people have been in love with the small ball play Mark Mitchell at the four. It really just hasn't worked. Let's try something new. And last season, he had a lot of success as a driver at the three spot. Kyle had a lot of success at the four spot. He was more versatile, had a lot more options offensively. And then Duke just had a dunker at the five. They don't have the same defensive caliber dunker or even the same offensive caliber dunker, maybe. But Sean Stewart has shown promise. He had that 16 and 10 game in just 18 minutes. And then from that point forward, he seems to have just been tucked away on the bench. And I'm struggling to understand it. Yes, he struggled in some spot minutes that he's put in. But think about the pressure he's under when he's just put in for two minutes. It's like you have to be perfect for those two minutes to stay in the game or else he's going to get sent back to the bench. You've got to give him time to breathe. He's a freshman, you know. A comparison I keep thinking about is guy that just got back on the coaching staff, Justin Robinson. During his sophomore junior seasons, he'd come in for a couple minutes, you know, and if he did anything wrong at all, or if the game, if in the game anything went wrong, he's pulled. He wasn't given the time to breathe. And I can't stop thinking about the fact that he was given the time to breathe at the very, very end of his graduate season, and he ended up being the difference maker. If he was given that time to breathe in the 2018-19 season, I think Duke had a sixth national championship banner at the end of that season because he could have been the missing piece. Don't just shove a guy to the end of the bench just because you got to give him time. You know, Sean Stewart hasn't looked bad at all. Like at times Javon Delorier did, especially as an underclassman and Marquise Bolden did as an underclassman, but they still got minutes to work through their struggles. Sean Stewart will pick up fouls. You know, it's not going to be pretty all the time, but he's, got to be given the opportunity. He's going to have to play a huge role next season too. So if you just tuck him away on the bench, 
it's going to make next season even more difficult because it's just Patrick uh, Gangba and then it's Sean Stewart and Christian Reeves. And if, you know, Reeves isn't going to play like I assume he's not going to, Stewart needs to see some run or else Duke's going to really struggle in the front court again next season. They can't completely depend on Cooper Flagg. He's not a big. They got to have somebody holding down Fort in the post. And I think that guy can be Sean Stewart. And I think he could be incredibly important to this team, allowing some of the forwards to play their natural position in the starting lineup with Kyle and with Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell recently, when he's had success, his success has just come from getting to the line. He's done a very good job getting fouled, and he did that against Charlotte. He shot 12 free throws. He was 8 of 12 from the line. You'd like him to hit a few more of those, but you can't complain but so much. He had 12 points. It's probably one of his better games he's played lately. He's had a, He had a little bit of a, a tough stretch um, leading into December and in early December, but he had a, he had a solid game. He had 12 points. Caleb Foster got his first start as a Blue Devil with Tyrese Proctor out. Ended up playing 30 minutes, but uh, didn't do an incredible amount. He only shot the ball four times, two or three from from the line. Caleb shot a uh, not great percentage from the free throw line. Might be the lowest free throw percentage I've seen from a from a point guard or a combo guard at at Duke so in in a while. Uh, trust that hopefully that'll improve. He did he did all right though, seven points. Um, Jeremy Roach continues to impress. Over you know, while Duke struggled, Jeremy Roach really has not. In 33 minutes, five and nine from the floor, three of five from three, uh, made all five of his free throws at 18 points. In his last five ga- or four games, he's averaged 19.5 points per game on 73% shooting from three, which is just ludicrous. Jeremy Roach has shot the ball exceptionally well from three, and he's been known as a very inconsistent three point shooter. Throughout his career, I mean, his freshman year, 31%, then 32%, then 34%. He's shooting 48% from three this season. Now, do I think he's going to continue to shoot 48% from three? Probably not, but he's shooting it right now, and he needs to put up more three-pointers. But the success he's had, I've been confused why they haven't sought out more three-point opportunities for Jeremy Roach. I haven't seen him shoot more than five uh, in a game, but he he had a solid Solid game once again, and he he's done very well. He's been Duke's best player for the last few weeks, I think, without a doubt. But Duke's best player on the night was probably Jared McCain, a guy who had been struggling uh, on the season, and he hadn't really had his his key moment. But he steps into that Charlotte game. Jared McCain goes out there, 7 of 13 from the floor, uh, knocks down 3 of 7 from 3, and knocks down all his free throws. 21 points, he becomes the fifth Blue Devils, so now to score 20-plus so far this season, as of December 9th, uh, meaning all five starters have crossed the threshold. Kyle has scored 20 plus four times. Jeremy Roach has done it twice. And then Iris Proctor, Mark Mitchell, and Jared McCain have each crossed that threshold once each. This time last season, so December 9th last year, Duke only had two 20 point games, period, for the whole roster. And both of them were Jeremy Roach. And so it's, it's impressive that they've been able to put together a, a more balanced scoring effort this season but ultimately still the struggles are there um the rotations aren't perfect and we knew that they weren't going to move a mile in a game they weren't just going to fix all the problems immediately but they fixed some problems and that's impressive especially without Tyrese Proctor being available that they fixed some problems they looked a lot better in certain ways i think there could still be more urgency 
I think there needs to be more minutes, more time, and more trust in placed in Sean Stewart and TJ Power, uh, especially if you've already kind of sidelined Ryan Young. I think you've got to put a little bit more trust in those guys. But a step in the right direction. We saw Jared McCain's best game as a Blue Devil so far. Jeremy Roach continues to impress Jalen Blakes with his December magic. Filipowski not looking great in that center role, but hopefully will improve. He had a couple of dry spells last season as well. Uh, similar concerns for playing in a, un, a non-ideal position for Mark Mitchell, but that's what can be said about the Charlotte game. They got back in the winning track and the winning column. A lot of Duke fans were able to let out a collective sigh of relief, and I think that's very important to everybody. And around, especially nobody wants to be stressed around the holidays, but I hate to tell you that you're going to be stressed around the holidays almost without a doubt. Want to join a community of Duke accounts publishing news, theories, and predictions on Duke athletics? Join the Duke Wisdom Network. Just go to dukewisdom.org join network today and fill out the form with your name and social media. Or you can DM at Duke underscore wisdom on Twitter or Instagram. Become a part of the community of Duke fans publishing their takes today. Again, that's dukewisdom.org slash join network to DM at Duke underscore wisdom on Twitter or Instagram. Duke's next game is against Hofstra on Tuesday, December 12th, and it is the biggest trap game of the year for the Blue Devils. This is a game that I had circled preseason because, you know, outside of those four major games that we all knew about, the Arizona, Michigan State, uh, Arkansas, and Baylor games, Hofstra is, on paper, the most difficult. They are ranked 101st on Ken Palm, but I don't think that really does the problem that they're going to cause justice. What does bring that justice is that Hofstra is 7th nationally in three-pointers made per game. So they can light it up. And any team that knocks down enough threes will just win a game. That's just how modern basketball works. So if Duke allows them to start knocking down those threes right out the gate, they're going to be the world of hurt, just like they saw against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech wasn't a good three-point shooting team, but they made their first four three-pointers and got out to a quick double-digit lead. And just like that, Duke was fighting an uphill battle the whole night and ended up losing the game. They do that to Hofstra, who is a exceptionally good three-point shooting team. It's going to be a difficult win, and you absolutely don't want to lose. And heck, you don't really even want to be in a competitive game with Hofstra, because if you are, that's not going to look good for morale heading into what I believe is Duke's most important game of the season against Baylor. So that's a big turning point. Even if Duke comes out, they beat Hofstra, that Baylor game on the 20th is, is huge. Because Duke gets that win, they're seven and three. Going to Baylor, you don't want to be seven and four heading into the conference. Well, I guess eight and four because they'll beat Queens, most likely. Knock on wood. Uh, but heading into conference play, you don't want to have four losses because it's going to be a bumpy road getting into conference play. And you know, ACC has five teams ranked, including Duke, but not not such a horrible, horrible conference this season. You know, the bottom's still not great, but. Top's looking pretty good. Clemson looks pretty solid. UNC looks solid. Virginia, you know, probably shouldn't, but they'd look good. Tony Bennett's a wizard. Miami's good. They've had some some bad games, though, but I expect them to improve as the season goes on. Duke needs to go into Madison Square Garden and knock number six Baylor in the head. They need to prove that they are still 
a team that needs to be considered a a contender. Um, if they go in and they get they lose close to Baylor, I'll come out of that one thinking, well, this team could probably salvage an eight or a nine seed out of the season, maybe a little bit better than that. If they lose really badly, like they lose by like 15, 20 points, I'm coming out of that one like, I don't know, this team could miss the tournament. <laughs> you know, if they don't string together some really important wins in conference, it's going to be a difficult, difficult route for Duke. Um, so that's a pivotal, pivotal game. But the a very pivotal game right ahead of them is don't look past Hofstra. This is a really good team, believes they can beat Duke, and quite honestly, if they have a good shooting night, can beat Duke, without a doubt. Not saying they will, but they certainly can. They certainly don't need to be looked past. If any mid-major Duke plays all season, this is the team not to look past. If you can lose to Georgia Tech, you can sure as heck lose to Hofstra. So that's the biggest takeaway. Um, Duke made steps to improve against Charlotte. Coaching staff made certain steps to improve everything, and that was nice, especially with having uh, Proctor out with an ankle injury. I assume he'll remain out the next, at least the next game, and maybe probably a little bit longer than that. Um, and Duke will have to find answers without him. I think Duke needs to look beyond the point guard position for answers. That's the next step for the coaching staff. Let's let's dip into the forwards and look for answers in the paint and on the wings rather than just completely on the backcourt. Let's let's look for answers in different places. And if they can do that, then we might be looking at a, at a team that will be much improved and knocking on the door of being a Final Four contender again come February or so. It's a work in progress. We've been saying that for weeks, but at least they're now working and making some progress. So that's that's nice to see, you know, and, and I'll pivot. I'll talk about this for, for a few minutes. Uh, Duke football find it, found its new head coach, uh, Manny Diaz, who was at Penn State, former head coach at Miami. And he was, he was at the Charlotte game, and he was rocking with the crazies. Nice to see that kind of thing. But I know a lot of Duke fans probably feel similarly to me that they're a little down in the dumps watching that because Mike Elko did so many similar things. And... Diaz is coming from a similar place as Elko, being a coordinator at a really solid football program, and he's seeking to get back to a program like that as a head coach. It feels very much like Duke is just the stepping stone again. And even if you know he's had done a good job at retaining players, Duke honestly has not had a catastrophic uh, exodus like I thought they would have in the transfer portal so far. But it still feels like this isn't the guy that Duke's program is going to grow up with. Even if they have success with Diaz, he'll be out of here in a few years. And so the, the same unfortunate problem with Elko might be perpetuated. So that's unfortunate. But fingers crossed that they are able to break the cycle and put some trust in Nina King that she made the right hire. I don't want to write the man off before he even starts the job. So hopefully... Manny Diaz is able to take Duke football in a, a good direction and and you know bring him to the promised land in the in the bowl game come come later this month uh, against Troy. So Duke football going toward its next chapter. Duke basketball making progress. Hofstra on Tuesday. I'll be back on the mic on Thursday talking about that Hofstra game and a little bit more in depth preview of the Baylor game, which I've been talking about a little you know here and there through the weeks, but I'll get more detailed into that 
Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Follow Duke Wisdom on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you guys Thursday.